She kept calling out for this student called Kubi Hong, but nobody responded. I was very alert, huh? Finally, she skipped this student, or so I thought, and called Chiu Mei Fong, which I say yes, skip. And then, although I do not remember her words, she mocked me for not knowing my own name. I said. I, I got off to a bad start with my folk teacher and my dialect name. And what happened next was an all sort of bad jokes from classmates, teasing me with honking sounds, and you, have, you would have guessed, right, Bihun. And I found out that somebody is actually called Bihun. What's in the name? If you've ever been teased, called names, you will understand the significance of a name. So my name represents my physical body with my specific mannerisms and accent, my unique personality with its quirks, my free will and independent mind, the whole package. Our names represent who we are. So since our name is our identity, being called names is not only irritating, it is a lie. It is labeling me as something which I am not. It is misrepresenting me as someone I do not identify with. And it doesn't matter if the name calling is something as silly as bihun or as malicious as retarded. Being called something will not hurt us. If we may be hurt by the mockery of our names, how much more will God be hurt when his wonderful name is being mocked? If we are injured by insults to our reputations, how much more will God be injured when His perfect holiness is insulted? By far the greatest insult to God is to treat Him as nothing. This insult is what is explicitly forbidden by the third commandment. For to take the name of God in vain is to treat Him as nothing. It is saying that the omniscient God neither sees nor hears what we say or do, that the omnipotent God is empty of power to judge and to save, that the omnipresent God is non-existent. Such descriptions are used in the Bible on many idols carved out of wood and stone. What an insult it is then to use it on Yahweh, the ever-living God. I can end my sermon here since I've explained Exodus 20 verse 7. But since we have so much time left, we are going to examine other passages that contains the details for this commandment. To be sure, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 is about a summary of the law given to Moses. How to apply these commandments and their associated punishments are explained elsewhere. So I will have to draw on various passages to help us understand the seriousness of the Third Commandment and what exactly is required of us. So, we begin with our Old Testament reading from Leviticus 24, where we are shown the dire consequences of injuring God's name. In the ESV version, verse 11 reads, The Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. Now, in the original Hebrew, blaspheme literally means to pierce, to bore a hole. And the Hebrew word here translated as curse means to make insignificant or to treat as unimportant. Now note that this word curse in this verse does not mean wishing supernatural harm on somebody else. This is the normal sense of the word that we know, but here it is a different meaning. It means insulting, despising, and belittling. So with semantics out of the way, let us concentrate on what the man did wrong. 
Was it the act of blaspheming or cursing or both? If it was the cursing, who did he curse? His Israelite opponent or God? If we look further down the text, we find the answer in verse 15. Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. And this is repeated in verse 16 with the penalty. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. The use of blaspheme and curse interchangeably suggests that they are the same thing here. To blaspheme God is to curse God, and to curse God is to blaspheme Him. And the grammar of the original text makes it absolutely clear that the blasphemer must surely die, and must surely die by being stoned. So reading on, verses 17 to 21 emphasizes the severity of blasphemy. Anyone who kills a human being shall be put to death. Anyone who kills an animal shall make a restitution for it, life for life. Anyone who maims another shall suffer the same injury in return. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The injury inflicted is injury to be suffered. One who kills an animal shall make restitution for it, but one who kills a human being shall be put to death. Question. If the injury inflicted equals to the injury to be suffered, what do humans inflict on God in blasphemy if the punishment equals to death? Answer, blasphemy inflicts death on God. To insult God is to murder him. Not that God can die, but we are guilty of killing God when we blaspheme and curse his name. Last year, two South Korean K-pop idols committed suicide. They were close friends. Sally on the right hanged herself at home, and Hara was found dead six weeks later. Sympathizers believed that they were murdered by public criticism. Sally was heavily criticized for dating an older celebrity, for quitting her pop group and her liberal feminist views. And Hara was harassed for plastic surgery and a supposed sex video. No doubt their actions were deemed to be unacceptable in Korean society by some. However, the criticisms did not stop at condemning their actions. Netizens viciously attacked their character and labeled them all sorts of malicious names. Though they died physically by suicide, one can perhaps say that they died psychologically by public stoning. Stoned to death by a constant barrage of negative criticisms. My point is, insults on our name and reputation can hurt us, even kill us. If we can empathize with that, we can be perhaps begin to grasp the severity of blaspheming God. Why the third commandment forbids us to take God's name in vain, and why the penalty must be death. Does this mean that we will be saved if we never utter God's name? If we don't end our prayers in Jesus' name? Or if we don't say, oh my God, or good Lord, with marks? Not really, my friends. 
This commandment is not about profanities or whether or not we should not speak God's name. The whole idea of the third commandment is about respecting God, honouring His name. Therefore, the message for you today is respect God in our speech and actions as Christians. As we've seen so far, one of the ways to respect God is not to insult His name. I hope to show you now that another way is not to swear falsely in His name. Leviticus 19 verse 12 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. To swear falsely is to solemnly declare that whatever is being said is true, or that whatever is being promised shall be done. To swear in God's name means to call God to be a witness to the truthfulness of what is being said, or the faithfulness of performing what is being promised. So for example, when Achish said to David, as surely as the Lord lives, you have been reliable, he means that David is truly a reliable man. In another less savory example, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He promised to offer a burnt offering if God helps him with his battle against his enemies. And the sacrifice shall be whatever comes out of the doors of his house to meet him when he returns victorious. Tragically, instead of a goat or a lamb, his daughter came up. To fulfill his vow, Jephthah sacrificed his daughter. Of course, this was a reckless vow, and we'll come back to it later. But so you see, swearing in ancient Israel is not very different from our own vows and promises today. With that, we'll try to see why swearing falsely by God's name is honesty. First, understand that a false oath is declaring something false to be true, or making a promise but not fulfilling it. Basically, it's lying. To swear falsely in God's name means calling God to be a witness to our lives. It means using God to testify to a truthfulness and a faithfulness which are fake. In other words, we make God a liar. Suppose I call a friend on the phone and tell her that there is a pink flamingo in the sanctuary. And I get all of you here to shout over the phone that there is a pink flamingo here. I'm making you a liar. Yes, I'm throwing the flamingo to break you up at this point. So also, when we use God's name to substantiate our lies, we make him a liar. We undermine his character of truthfulness and faithfulness. That is to say, we insult God's character. And insulting God means breaking the third commandment. This is why we do not swear falsely in His name. So there you have it. The requirements of the third commandment are respect God in our speech by speaking what we know to be true. That what you say is simply yes or no, anything more than this comes from evil. Two, respect God in our actions by fulfilling our promises to God and others. You shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Sounds easy enough to obey, isn't it? The law of God is written on the hearts of humankind, whether we are consciously aware of it or not. And the third commandment is the reason that we instinctively hate lies and detest hypocrisy. If lying is making an intentionally false statement, hypocrisy is lying about one's identity. Hypocrites are people who pretend to be religious followers of God. 
They behave like one, obeying God's law, associating with the saints, and performing good works. But in reality, they do not trust and believe in Him. These are the hypocrites that Jesus condemns in the Gospels. But I'm more interested to talk about Christian hypocrites today. A Christian is a person who takes the name of God, for we are baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lucky or not, our entire being, this entire package, is associated with God. This is why Jesus said, don't take an oath at all. Swearing by God's name is redundant for the people of God because we already bear His name. Christian hypocrites, then, are Christians who pretend to be people of the world. They follow the ways of the world, ignore God's laws, avoid the saints, and neglect good works, when in reality they are a new creation in God's name and have vowed to follow Him. During our baptism, the priest did say, those of you who have come for baptism must affirm your allegiance, in other words, obedience to Christ, and your rejection of all that is evil, to which you have all answered, I turn to Christ, I repent of my sins, I renounce them all. We vow to obey Christ and disobey the world. Why am I saying this? Are there Christian hypocrites in Good Shepherd? May the Holy Spirit search our hearts. Have we been prioritizing our worldly engagements over Sunday services and other church gatherings? Why are some of us not in any care group or any type of Christian fellowship? Are we serving in church? Why do some of us shrink back from serving? Why are we not going for outreach events or mission trips? Are you secretly thinking of leaving church? Christians who do not persevere in faith and good works, who do not fellowship with God and fellow Christians, are by definition Christian hypocrites. We are pretending to be part of the world which we no longer belong to. And we just say just now, I belong to you, Lord Jesus. You know who you belong to. Some people may put up the following defense. I don't come to church because I don't feel like worshipping God. I cannot take up any ministry position in church because I feel that I am not right with God. No mission trips for me because I, feel I don't feel anything for the Vietnamese children or the Cambodian villagers. If I do what I don't feel like, it is hypocritical. My friends, please don't be confused. A student who doesn't like doing his homework, but does it, is not a hypocrite, but a student who performs his duties. An employee who doesn't feel like going to work, but turns up, is not a hypocrite, but a working adult who fulfills his responsibilities. And in the same way, Christians who don't feel like doing churchy things, but perseveres in them, is not a hypocrite, but Christians who live out their God-given identity. Remember who you are. You are not what you feel. You are a forgiven sinner, made right with God, not by your own efforts, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Technically, there is nothing you can do that can make you not right with God. 
In response to his grace, then, you've promised to worship God in thanksgiving, to confess your sins in repentance, to encourage one another in small groups, to serve God in the church, and go and make disciples of all nations. I'm not telling you. I'm just reminding you to fulfill your vows to God. And in fact, commitment is one of the values we want to work on this year, not only in our care groups, but as a church. But actually, if you follow the drift, I'm asking you to be authentic also, to respect God and to be empowered to serve. There is no lack of opportunities, friends. A few weeks ago, Melissa, the head of our music ministry, came forward to recruit members in preparation for running services in our new building. And this is only going to be the beginning of many recruitment drives. We're going to need a hospitality team in both services to perform ushering duties and welcome visitors. Because our existing ushering system based on care groups is no longer practical. We're going to need a traffic marshal ministry to sort out the parking in our new car park and ensure safety because there will be three services in the morning and traffic will be heavy. We're going to need more care group leaders, Bible study teachers, refreshment ministry members as our church grows. So those of you who are not actively serving in church, take this opportunity to step up into service. No need to go back and pray about it. Fulfill your vows to God. Up to this point, the third commandment will feel very tedious, if not impossible, to obey. And I notice a few people walk out of the church. They probably go to the toilet. The law demands, though, that we perfectly obey all ten. If not, we would have taken the name in vain, and the penalty is death. If we search our hearts, Truly, even those of us who think that we are not hypocrites have not been able to keep the commandments perfectly. The good news is, we do not have to die. Remember Jephthah who sacrificed his daughter because of his reckless vow to God? If Jephthah had known the word of God, he would know that a provision was made in Leviticus 5 verses 4 to 6. When any of you utter aloud a rash oath for a bad or good purpose, whatever people utter in a oath and are unaware of it, when you come to know it, you shall in any of these be guilty. When you realize your guilt in any of these, you shall confess the sin that you have committed, and you shall bring to the Lord as a penalty for the sin that you have committed a female from the flock, a sheep or a goat as a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for your behalf for your sin. Accordingly, if Jephthah had humbly confessed to God that he made a rash oath and then sacrificed a lamb of gold, his daughter would not have to die. Unfortunately, Jephthah did not know the word of God. But all of you here today are not ignorant of God's word. You know that God gave Jesus Christ as the once for all sacrifice on the cross to deliver us from our disobedience. You know that Jesus is the great high priest who made atonement on our behalf for our sins. And although he was God, he emptied himself of power and became man. He was falsely accused, stepped on, slapped and mocked. And then he humbled himself in obedience even to death on the cross. The Son of God, 
whom we are forbidden to blaspheme and curse, became a curse for us, that we may live. Therefore, God has exalted him and given him the name above all names, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And although you cannot do the works required by the law, you are saved from eternal death by faith in his name. Is such a God then worthy of our respect and obedience? And the least we can do to show our gratitude is to live by his commandments, which were designed for our well-being. And we know that the Holy Spirit helps us to obey. Let us pray. God, our Heavenly Father, you are God, merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and ready to relent from punishing. Give us grace through your word and through the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we receive again today, so that we may be empowered to honour your holy name in our speech and actions. For you are deserving of all blessing and honour and glory and 